Hello and welcome to Fine Laws Don't Judge Me, the show about the law in real life. I'm Vedahi Mehta and today we are talking about the recent trend of insurance claims filings and insurance-related lawsuits that have been taking states like Florida by storm. With some loopholes in Florida's state law, there's been a lot of ulterior incentives that have resulted in a lot of claims filed that are making insurance companies go bankrupt. And the result is that a lot of homeowners can no longer access or afford property insurance. Now, there's proposed new legislation to change that, but the world of insurance is a sticky area and we are not insurance law experts. So we have with us today Cassandra Calisti, an insurance expert who will be guiding us through basics of filing claims and filling us in on some of the recent trends facing the market. Enjoy the interview. And as always, thanks for listening. We have with us today Miss Cassandra Kalisti, or Cassie as I like to call her. She has worked for a long time with in the insurance sector, and specifically she's worked with PGI, which is Premier Group Insurance, for seven years now. And she's worked extensively in training and content development, and I think that's something that she's really passionate about, but I will let her speak for herself. Cassie, welcome. Thanks so much for being with us today, and why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and experience in the insurance world? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on today. Um, like I said, my name is Cassie and I work with Premier Group Insurance, which is a national insurance aggregator. So we partner with independent insurance agents uh, to get access to different carriers. So typically what we'll do is we have contracts with these independent insurance agents and essentially do collective bargaining um, with carriers. So getting access to carriers, negotiating commission rates, uh, all sorts of different stuff. Um, you know, we get them access to things like comparative raters, agency management systems, and in my realm, uh, training specialists. And what I do specifically is manage our online university, our online training platform, uh, which is something that I've built from the ground up. So it's really exciting for me. Uh, yeah. We just launched back in September and it's going really well for all of our agents. Thank you. So, yeah, I've been in the insurance industry now for about seven years and uh, work with people all across the country in different states. Uh, so, yeah, it's been it's been a fun ride. It's great to hear. And well, we are so lucky to have you with us today because I don't know about you, Andy, but I have always felt like fused at best and ripped off at worst when it comes to insurance of any type. Uh, yeah. Right. And we all relate to that. But also, like, I'm kind of the wrong audience for this. I don't own a home. I probably never will. I'm a minimalist. I don't have things that you'd insure except for like a car, but that's not what we're we're not talking about car insurance so maybe this is more useful for andy who bought a house not that long ago yeah congrats yeah. and today it's funny today is it's early in the afternoon still yet but today we are under a very heavy threat of severe weather like large hail and tornadoes later yeah so it is one of those days when you at when you 
think about your policy a lot. And if you're going to have to, if you're going to need a, uh, need a new roof. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's funny too, because I feel the same way about law sometimes. It's something that is so big and so hard to understand. And um, sometimes you can feel ripped off or don't know when the right thing to do mm-hmm. is, or don't understand certain pieces of legislature or how they affect your everyday life. So it's uh, interesting to see these two worlds meet in what can be very complex ideas. You need it, but it's it's both confusing and like it feels like you can't live with it. You can't live without it kind of kind of thing for, for yeah. insurance. And of course, like this will be relevant to most of our, our listeners. So maybe for those of our listeners who may have insurance policies but aren't familiar with some of the basics of property insurance. Cassie, could you give us a quick 101 on how it works? Uh, Sure. Yeah. So today I know we are going to focus specifically on property insurance and especially in Florida. You know, I think Florida is really a big catalyst for a lot of other states that have a lot of severe weather Mm -hmm. um, in Missouri Mm -hmm. and Texas and Oklahoma, places like California, where insurance can be really complex on the property side, oftentimes because of the severe weather. But essentially, you know, let's say you purchase a home, um, you know, pretty good example right there. Uh, Typically, you're going to need to take out a a home loan or a mortgage to to pay for that home. Um, And oftentimes your mortgage company will require that you purchase homeowners insurance in order to access or get that loan. Typically, when let's say you just uh, your renter or maybe you have um, a car that isn't super high value or that you've already paid off, uh, you know, going online direct through a carrier, it's no Mm -hmm. big deal. You you, typically people are looking for the the lowest possible quote and the lowest possible rate to purchase something. Yeah. Then you kind of get into these two other situations where you purchase insurance through an insurance agent. So there are two different types of insurance agents. One is what we refer to as a captive company Mm -hmm. uh, or a captive insurance agent. And there's also an independent insurance agent. So captive means that that agency sells only one carrier. Um, So like State Farm and Farmers. If you go to a Farmers insurance agent or State Farm agent, they only offer product through State Farm or Farmers or Mm -hmm. whatever captive company you're with. Then you have um, an independent insurance agents, uh, which is primarily who I work with. Okay. And they offer several different carriers. Um, so they have they have to obtain these contracts with these different carriers in order to to sell their insurance products to consumers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have a super bias. I think that you know <laughs> if you go through an independent channel, uh, you're provided with different options mm-hmm. on what best suits your needs. So um, you know if you start to do things like purchase a home, acquire assets, have children, um, you know, they're things that you need to protect. It's might be a good idea to go through an agent who can help educate you through the policy and through the po- process of purchasing insurance, mm-hmm. because really the ultimate goal is to indem- indemnify you or make you whole again after mm-hmm. a claim or after an accident, um, you know, fire, displaced from your home, theft, whatever it may be. So um, when you have more assets to insure, you might want to be more educated on what it is that you're purchasing in your and life. That's, and that's your your agent seems to be sort of like a consultant or a coach and in, um, in making sure that you don't have to navigate the insurance world yourself. That's a big exactly. benefit. Right. And you talked about, you know, indemnification, making someone whole again, which is also what courts try to do. Uh, but 
when it comes to insurance, I I know that at least in my experience, um, well, with car insurance, which is uh, different, but but it seems similar in that like it, it doesn't always work out in making you whole again, even if you are insured, right? So I know that there there is a differentiation between like replacement cost and and like actual cash value. I've heard that term or market value, and yeah, it seems kind of similar to how. I don't know, like car insurance companies calculate the value of like a totaled car. And the reason we all feel like we're getting ripped off when our car gets totaled is, I guess, because we get way less money than we need to buy the same type of car again. So can you speak a little bit to to that distinction when it comes to property insurance? Yeah, and I can I can start with car insurance, too, because it's probably mm-hmm. the place that most people are familiar with. Um, but if you're involved in, in, in an accident and you have car insurance, then what's going to happen is uh, an adjuster is going to evaluate the actual cash value of your car, mm-hmm. which is the amount of money it would take to replace that car minus depreciation. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like wear and tear, it's how much money you could get selling that that car. Right. Versus in the property insurance world, uh, it's your your property insurance is based off of replacement cost. So you have what's called your coverage A, or is your main coverage of your of your property. So let's say it's you know you have a five hundred thousand dollar insurance policy on your home. That's going to be replacement cost. So that would be what it would take to rebuild your home in the event of a total loss, um, with similar. Uh, you know, functions and features like similar type of cabinetry, number of bathrooms, square footage, uh, all of that stuff. And especially taking into consideration things like labor and materials, mm-hmm. it's going to replace it to the way it was before mm-hmm. versus actual cash value, which is minus that depreciation. One thing that can be a little bit tricky, though, is sometimes people think of this as market value of the home, uh, which is how much you could sell your home for. um, Mm -hmm. And that is not the case when it comes to insurance, Uh, because with insurance, you are insuring the dwelling, the structure and not the land. Um, So if you live in a really high demand area, whether it be like Seattle, where the property, the land itself is so valuable, but maybe the home isn't so much. So that's where the big difference is. Um, So when you're purchasing an insurance policy, your insurance agent will go through uh, a Mm -hmm. replacement cost estimating tool with you Mm -hmm. um, and establish what that replacement cost or coverage A should be in the event of a total loss. Okay, so it sounds like most policies across property insurance are using like the actual cash value. The um, they're they're not going to give you your replacement cost, basically. Well, it is the replacement cost. Yeah, I think what what tends to happen or why people get confused is that when you're looking for the lowest possible insurance Mm -hmm. rate, um, sometimes people might underplay what their home, what it might actually take to rebuild their home. So let's say it's actually going to take $500,000 to rebuild your home or replace Mm -hmm. your home, but the quote is really high and you can make it tweak a few adjustments on your square footage, number of bathrooms, the, the quality of your kitchen um, and tweak them to get a lower quote and a lower premium that you're paying. But really in essence, you're under insuring mm. your own property. Your so own that's risk. why I think it's so important to have a good insurance agent to help understand the value of what you're purchasing versus sheerly getting the best 
lowest quote possible. Yeah. And my, my home, my, my home for an example of that, my, my homeowner's insurance policy, my deductible is 1% of the cost to rebuild of the replacement my, cost. yeah, my home. And that cost, the estimated replacement cost is more than what I paid for my house. Oh, okay. Okay. And is that typical? Okay. Um, but I think, you know, you guys brought up that big distinction between replacement costs and market value, mm-hmm. which can be pretty confusing. Yeah, totally. Because it doesn't work like it does in the car sector because there's the whole land value um, that you brought up. That's that's a really great point. So what if in the event that, you know, something does go wrong and lo and behold, you actually have to make use of your insurance policy and you're hopefully covered. What does the process of filing a claim look like? So, I mean, sometimes it can be as simple as you, uh, you know, you have something happen to your home or, uh, you know, there's a lot of other coverages on your policy, too. Let's say you have liability to others. Somebody's injured in your home. Um, you know, there's theft of your personal property. Just a different way of things. You file a claim with your insurance company. That insurance company will send out an adjuster, evaluate the situation and pay out your claims. Um, you know, I don't come from the claim side, so I'm not hugely involved in that. But typically, mm-hmm. if it's an easy process, that that's how it will go. You'll get paid mm-hmm. out the amount that it's agreed on in your um, insurance policy, and all is good and fine. Uh, but of course, we know that it doesn't always work that way, yeah. and there are are things that can go awry in that. Um, one thing that we're seeing a lot, especially in the state of Florida, which I know we're going to get pretty heavy into and that it, it's it's been a big problem, is something that's called the assignment of benefits. Mm-hmm. So uh, essentially means who's getting paid out the money from the insurance company. Right. So in, in Florida, there used to be not a lot of regulation around who the assignment of benefits are going to. So if you hire a contractor, let's say, you know, you had a roof claim because of a hurricane um, and you needed the roofer to come out and repair your roof or even completely replaced it, they'll, they can put into a contract to say that the assignment of benefits from the insurance company, the payout will go directly to the roofing company, the contractor, whoever it is who's making those repairs. I'm sorry. Is that, is the assignment of benefits set up when you first agree, when you first draft the insurance policy and agree to everything? It's it's set up then and there, right? It's the insured. Yeah, the insured's going get to get the money um, through that contract. Um, in some cases, it might be your mortgage company um, since they they own part of the that loan. Uh, so there are some situations. But what we're really looking at here is mm-hmm. the contractors who are repairing your your home in the event of that right. loss, um, which is where it gets really tricky and sticky. Yeah, because I'm wondering how an assignment of benefits will affect you, the policyholder, in your ability to file an insurance claim. Because if it's getting assigned to the contractor, sounds like you'd have very little say in how your claim proceeds. Yeah. So the insured is the one who's signing the contract with Mm -hmm. that contractor or with that roofer where they're giving up their rights and assignment of benefits to them. Um, So the insurance company is is not doing that. It would be Mm -hmm. a separate contract. Yeah, it might limit what you're able to do because these companies can file lawsuits on your behalf. They can negotiate costs of certain things. They they can do all kinds of stuff on your behalf. Yeah, I've which heard, is scary. It's scary, and I've heard um, that 
I don't know if this is a more recent thing or if only I've heard I've only heard about it recently, um, but about loopholes in the assignment of benefits that are allowing certain parties to abuse it, such like that maybe contractors or restoration companies can inflate claims, the cost for a claim and charge insurance companies for work that was either unnecessary or overcharge them or sim- or sometimes work that wasn't done at all. And that, yeah, that seems really scary. So how does this happen? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in, in places with the capacity for severe weather, like we're seeing in the state of Florida um, with hurricanes, they there's this practice of predatory roofing. So they'll go, uh, these roofing companies will come in and say, hey, I noticed your roof doesn't look so great. Did you know your insurance company can pay for you to get a new one, a, mm-hmm. a free roof? A, they'll market I've, it as a free roof. I've called that, yeah, we have always kind of referred that as to like a, like a traveling carnival circuit. I, growing up in the middle of the Midwest, we were prone to large hailstorms every now and then. And it's kind of the same thing. You'll see all of a sudden you'll see guys roll into town with signs wow. out saying like get insurance to pay for a new hood on your car or yeah, a new roof on your house. And <laughs> yeah, another thing that's really popular in the insurance world is people doing that with glass. Um, huh. So repair, like replacing your windshield. Oh, your insurance company will replace your windshield for free. But I mean, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So <laughs> it's going to start to do things like increase your rates. Um, yeah. And have the insurance companies pay out more than is really intended to, mm-hmm. and then they start to lose a lot of money with with these practices, unnecessary practices. Yeah. Uh, but again, without yeah. assignment and, of benefits, they're allowed to uh, allowed to do that for you. Yeah, and people don't realize they have a lot of time when they say, "Oh, get your insurance to pay for this." They don't realize most likely they're probably still going to have to pay a deductible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's the benefit to the to the to the contractor or whoever's trying to make you do this? Do, do they just just so they, they can get more work because they're because they're contracted to do it, basically? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They'll mm. they'll get more clients. Um, mm-hmm. They'll get more work, especially if they need it. They can negotiate mm-hmm. higher rates. They can mm. file lawsuits. Yeah, that's um, a great point, because under the assignment of benefits, that's right. The contractor can engage in legal action against the insurance company without the policyholder's consent, right? Yeah. Well, technically, they have given them consent well, yes. to do so. I, I should say without the policyholders' like involvement or maybe maybe even knowledge, and um, I, this can lead to legal fees that are much higher sometimes than the actual amount in the claim, right? And then yeah. that's where attorneys get involved. So. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually all a good segue into talking about, well, why we wanted Cassie to join us as a guest today in the first place, because I found out only relatively recently that Florida has the highest insurance market in the U.S. And I know we spend a lot of time talking about Florida on this podcast. So this Florida is totally... Lives, Florida lives rent-free in, in our head on Don't Judge. <laughs> and Ron DeSantis, too. Yeah, and Ron DeSantis. <laughs> so this well, is totally I, I lived in Florida for about 10 years, too. So I do have quite a bit of experience with the good old state of Florida. Oh, yeah. This is this totally... That's a fun coincidence, because this kind of hits harder at home for you than most people, maybe, Cassie. So what's going on? Why does Florida continue to be the exception to the rule in every way, including insurance prices? 
Well, with Florida in particular, uh, you, you know, there's there's all sorts of things, but a big one being that they have some of the most severe catastrophic weather in the United States. Hurricanes are rampant mm-hmm. there. Um, of course, that's going to drive up in mm-hmm. insurance costs. But there's still quite a bit of other things that are really playing into the insurance market in Florida. One of them has to do with, which is something that's a little bit complex, but the reinsurance market. Yeah. So tell us re- more about that. I, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Reinsert insurance. I the best way I think to describe it in layman terms is like you're co-signing a loan. Insurance companies are basically co-signing or having a reinsurance market to help pool a group of money to pay for these claims or losses. Okay, this sounds a little bit similar to the like. Remember when like the the, the mortgage market reassigning risk of mortgage that that caused the housing crash and, and and made problems for a lot of people, which was which is scary. So that's why I, I'm a little scared what you're telling me right now. Um, is it as bad as it sounds or is it actually good? Well, I mean, with Florida, actually, the reinsurance market, the rates are really high because people don't want to come in and do business in the state of Florida in the reinsurance mm. market. They're actually trying to stay away from it. So it's it's increasing reinsurance rates, and it's also making a lot of insurance companies in the state of Florida go insolvent or aka bankrupt and not f- be able to pay out claims. Um, so even just within the last two or three years, there's been 15 insurance companies in the state of Florida that become insolvent, meaning they have to drop all of their policyholders. They're they these pol- policyholders no longer have insurance. They got to go find it somewhere else. Oh, yeah. But if if you know 14 other insurance companies are also insolvent, it's going to make it really hard to find insurance where you're at. And that's because the way that the reinsurance market is structured is just making it unaffordable for the companies to reinsure their policies. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. So it's making yeah. your rates increase. They're yeah. they're putting a lot of the onus back on the policyholders mm. and purely going off of premium that they're collecting mm. because it's harder to go go into that reinsurance market. Okay. And this is not is this more of a Florida problem but also this is nationally true for folks in other states. You know, I think it's just specifically in Florida that we're really looking at having a problem just because mm-hmm. of the compilation of other issues that it's also having is wanting yeah. the reinsurance companies to get to stay further away from it. It has a lot to do with a lot more macroeconomics, too, that go into it. Uh, that's not necessarily my world. <laughs> um, but the I it think it's just a piece of the puzzle that's really um, piling on why it's such a problem for property insurance in Florida. Yeah. And and you mentioned other factors like the rising cost of labor and also the cost of materials. And that's something we see nationally for sure. So I imagine that would that's going to affect rates whether, regardless of what state you're in. Part of the solution that Florida has found to help cope with these insurance companies becoming insolvent is uh, an insurer called Citizens Property Insurance, which is a Florida state-run insurance carrier. Okay. Uh, People will often refer to that as the carrier of last resort. Um, That's so so doom and gloom. It is. And it's supposed to be like they're one of the it's an insurance company that's intended not to write policies. They don't want business because um, what you have to do in order to get a policy with them is not be able to get insurance through the regular private market. 
So whether it be because rates are too high, your company's dropped you or become insolvent, or just uh, such a myriad of reasons in the state of Florida why it might be really difficult to get insurance. Um, so then you have this state-run entity that will provide insurance to you if you can't in the regular market. Mm-hmm. So, um, and other states have that too, like Louisiana has something very similar to it. It's actually called citizens as well, even though they are, they are separate. Yeah. But the thing that's really tough with citizens, they're just seeing a massive increase in policies, huge, huge increase in policies. So people are flocking and getting policies there. Private companies are either shutting down or turning people away or are unaffordable, basically. Yes, exactly. Uh, so the state run, run insurance is like stepping in to help mm-hmm. cover this, but they are purely run based off of premiums that they collect from insurance companies and don't participate in the reinsurance market. Mm. So uh, they have a greater fear if something happens, like a, a massive hurricane happens, that they will also become bankrupt or not have money to pay out these policies. Right. So when you have that many people flocking to something that's not intended to be that way, mm-hmm. then it creates a, a bubble in that sense, too. But there's uh, and there's a lot of reasons why people are doing that. The way that citizens operates in Florida is a little bit strange and a little bit different from some somebody like Louisiana because they cap their rate increases. Um, in 2023, they capped their rate increase at 12 percent. Um, when other insurance companies in the private market are taking rate increases like 33 percent mm-hmm. and some even estimate it's going to be in the 50 percent um, in the next year or so. So it's inherently making citizens become more competitive than any other company as well when it's supposed to be the carrier of last resort. Right. Yeah. And it's good. And, and, and capping their rate increases would, would make them have a harder time paying them out in, in, in the event of emergency. They're just going to have less money to right compared to the private right. market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough situation. And then I, I, I know that, well, this is where attorneys come in. Um, there's strong arm attorneys that are complicating things further, right? And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, they, they coax the policyholders into pursuing maybe like a low stakes case or a case that's not worth worth going after and convincing them that it's a good idea just to get attorney's fees. Yeah. So this just the number of litigation and lawsuits that happening are in Florida are are substantial, too. And sometimes people will attribute that to the strong arm lawyers mm-hmm. who essentially take what might be uh, a fender bender for, uh, let's say, a twenty thousand dollar payout and turn it into a hundred two hundred thousand dollar payout from the insurance company and, and inflating those. And not to say that your right to having an attorney in those events isn't bad at all, but so it ends up making the insurance companies pay out really large claims when mm-hmm. otherwise might just be settled in a very small claim or or without a lawyer involved at all uh, from and, people and looking, attributing to some of the issues in Florida. And, and the issues and the consequences are that the insurance companies just have to raise premiums as a result because it goes and, and which goes back to the policyholders, right? They have to, their premiums are raised, but ultimately who's winning? The attorneys are winning because they're getting attorney's fees, but the policyholders aren't really winning that much. Actually, they're losing out probably, right? Because they're ultimately faced with higher premiums. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a crazy statistic out there that says within uh, the last 10 years, uh, insurers have paid out about 51 billion. 
And 71% of that has gone to attorneys and public adjusters. So the sheer amount of money that the insurance companies are paying out are going to attorneys and not actually the insured's Mm -hmm. claims. Um, It seems like the attorneys, well, it just seems like the attorneys are paralleling what the contractors we mentioned were doing earlier, right? Whether it's contractors or attorneys, they're going after the insured companies for more than something is worth just so that they can have business or get paid, right? Yeah, Um, exactly. Well, I know that there is some legislation in the works um, or uh, even some that's already been passed that you wanted to talk about. For example, SB 2A that was passed six months ago, last last winter, right? Yeah, in December mm-hmm, yeah, 2022. And, and I think that's, you can tell us more about that. Yeah, so... Uh, SB 2A really, uh, and it's been talked, reform on insurance has been talked about a whole lot in Florida and what people can do to actually mitigate the crisis that's happening with insurance in Florida mm-hmm. um, to be you know, fair and equitable for both the insured and the insurance companies. Again, because the insureds are paying such high premiums um, that it's becoming almost impossible to pay for property insurance in Florida. And these insurance companies from paying out massive claims and becoming insolvent and Mm -hmm. then attorneys holding a lot of the power and uh, profiting the most off of the situation. So the the SB2A really has a whole lot to it, but a lot of what we talked about is is trying to address some of that. So one of them is reinsurance rates Mm -hmm. and and regulating reinsurance rates to want people to come back in um, and be able to make that plausible for those contracts to happen. There's also things like the amount of time you mm-hmm. have to file a claim. Mm. Uh, it was basically cutting in half. You So you have uh, one year versus two years to, to file a claim. It also and, reduces the time for insurance companies to either pay or deny that claim. Okay. Um, so that went from uh, 90 days to 60 days. Okay. And I, I think it had something also about allowing there to be mandatory binding arbitration clauses in policies, which we see a lot all over all kinds of the legal sector. But you either hate it or you love it because it it usually helps one party way more than the other. Yeah, the arbitration is one of, I think, the craziest parts about this, because in the insurance world, I do not see mandatory arbitration Mm -hmm. as part of endorsements on homeowners policies. I just don't see that, especially when you have like a reduction in premium or a discount for mandatory arbitration. I've never seen that before until, um, you know, this legislation was in in the works um, specifically in Florida. So that is, it's pretty crazy. So basically what it says is that it clarifies that insurance companies, they have to have an optional endorsement for the mandatory arbitration and they have to have consent from the policyholders and again they have to they're actually required to offer a premium discount for the mandatory arbitration Mm -hmm. clause okay so it's it sounds like they're they must be doing that because it benefits them right and it's it's not plaintiff it's usually not plaintiff friendly you you typically in, in other parts of the law we see that arbitration is mandatory arbitration is good for companies for for, for bigger companies rather than the than the individual. Plaintiff. Yeah, I and it's interesting, you know, how 
how the plaintiff is in this because you really see it as uh, like the attorneys and the insurance companies really been both not benefiting from this, but the insurance companies, instead of paying the lawyers, they're just going through a neutral party to, Mm -hmm. to solve, solve this issue. So is it, are you removing the attorney out of the equation and what would that look like if you didn't have to pay all of those fees? So I definitely see a benefit for the insurance company and I I don't see a whole lot of benefit for the insured. Yeah, the policyholder. But I can see why the insurance companies are doing it, because another big issue is uh, that that this statute at SB2A addresses, I think, is the one way nature of attorney's fees. And so, like, I've heard that apart from courts just being more plaintiff, apart from courts just being more plaintiff friendly in general, by, by which I mean claimant friendly, um, if the insurance companies, uh, as it is now, if they fight in court and lose, they have to pay the other side's attorney's fees to the plaintiff, to the claimant. But the opposite isn't true. So if the insurer, if the insurance company wins their case, then the claimant doesn't have to pay the company's lawyer's attorney's fees. Is that right? Yeah. So, well, so in um, SB2A, they're removing one way's attorney's fees. So mm-hmm. who each party has to pay their own attorney's fees, no matter what the outcome is. Yeah. Uh, but that's been causing which is interesting uh, well that's been causing a big problem for insurance companies because they just they lose out either way right so we see do we see a lot of insurance companies i'm wondering do we see a lot of them opting to settle rather than follow through with trial currently because their legal expenses are so prohibitively and disproportionately high either way no matter if they win or lose a trial yeah, I think that, you know, going back to that statistics of 71% mm-hmm. going to his attorney's fees and to adjusters is mudding the waters when that could be going to the insureds themselves. Uh, so I, I can certainly understand it, but I, d- I do think that it takes away a little bit from the plaintiff of saying, if you can't afford to pay for your own attorney, it's going to prevent you from... yeah going against the insurance company and that's scary because most of these cases were typically done on a contingent for on the plaintiff side are done on a contingency basis and now all of a sudden if you run the risk of having to pay that 30 per 33 percent but it sounds like in in, at least in florida it's a lot but it could be a lot higher for a property insurance bad faith dispute yeah and um some of the opponents of these new reform statutes that we're talking about, including one that we haven't uh, talked about yet, but HB 837, uh, that was just the the tort reform that was just passed uh, in March of this year. Um, A lot of the, and you can can talk actually a little bit about this. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what that is, Cassie? Sure. Well, um, quite quite honestly, it has a lot to do with tort reform and just like litigation in general. Um, So that is not a place I necessarily excel, but something that it does get into, uh, one of the major components of it that has a lot to do with insurance is going from a pure comparative fault to Mm -hmm. a modified comparative fault state, um, which has to do with the shared responsibility. Uh, So so. they're basically saying the plaintiff, if the plaintiff is 51% or more responsible for those injuries, then they can't recover any money 
from the defendant or share in that responsibility. So whoever is at fault, whether it's 51%, 87%, or 100%, they're still, they can't collect any other money from the other side. But a plaintiff in Florida up until now used to be like, even if even if the plaintiff was deemed 80% at fault for causing like a car, because they were driving drunk, they caused the car accident, for example, they could still, but then, but then the person they got in the accident with, say, was speeding or violating traffic they could they could still recover that 20 percent or whatever from the defendant because they technically shared in Mm -hmm. the responsibility exactly and and how does that fit into property insurance because like sure you'll see two different parties being at fault in car accidents or in personal injury accidents but i feel like if your house if something happens, if it's like a natural disaster, right? Like how, how does that play? I guess if you like were negligent and like left your space heater on, right? In that situation, that would work if your house burned down, right? But yeah, I mean, I've seen the the HB uh, 837 is really more about liability. So Mm -hmm. you see that a lot more with auto insurance okay? um, versus the the 2A, which deals a lot with property insurance. I see. So I think that's a that's a big difference there. It's mm-hmm. just really liability. Okay, gotcha. But but opponents of both of these um, reforms, um, so it's like some insurance attorneys. They they've pushed back on how good of an idea either one are. Um, they're saying that the reform bills could overcompensate and have negative consequences for whom maybe for them but like lawyers are opposing the idea that they're they're painting it from it's going to have they're painting it as it's going to have negative consequences for policyholders because they're they're claiming that limiting attorney's fees for example would remove incentives for lawyers to take on cases as we mentioned earlier to take on their cases that involve smaller claims which I guess they're saying that would ultimately be bad for the policyholders because they'd be left without an attorney to represent them at all. That logic sort of makes sense. But do you think that these concerns are well-founded or do you think that? Yeah, well, I mean, with like anything else, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm torn and I can see both sides of it. Uh, You know, obviously, if you see the amount of money that's being paid to these lawyers, it does make you question the the intentions of mm-hmm. why lawyers are the ones pushing back so hard on this. Um, but I do fear for the insured, too, that uh, getting adequate representation the way that this has been formulated and passed into law is going to prevent people who really need it and can't afford it to not be able to hire a lawyer and, uh, you know, get the justice or indemnify themselves mm-hmm. as they as they need to. So do I think it solves the entire problem? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm definitely skeptical, but the the situation in Florida is so dire that something definitely needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm torn. Yeah. I did see um as I was preparing for today that um in anticipation of Governor DeSantis signing HB eight thirty-seven, that Florida civil courts have been now absolutely flooded with lawsuits before he was able to sign them before he signed uh the new bill into law um, oh see. wow they um, said a hundred thousand lawsuits yeah there's some estimates that a hundred thousand cases were filed statewide um oh, man. in in march a year ago um orange county florida saw less than a thousand 
uh, circuit civil lawsuits filed in March of 2023, 9,194 cases were filed. Um, wow. In, in Seminole, in Seminole County, 285 suits were filed last March and 1,856 were filed this March. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So everyone's just trying to get their theirs in the door before this yeah, kicks so in. Yeah, so prepare for prepare for a logjam in the Florida oh, civil court man. system too. <laughs> Absolutely. If that's, it's not I mean, one kind of crazy. flood, it's the other. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we think about, um, like, in conclusion, Cassie, do you think that these are ultimately steps in the right direction? Or what do you see? Do you have any predictions on what's going to happen with all of this? I, I think it's a really good point that Andy brought up. You're going to see the courts just completely bogged down uh, mm. with trying to figure this out. I think you're going to see a lot of um, backlash litigation. I know um, there's already been some letters sent to the Supreme Court asking for extensions of the way things used to be um, or before that this officially becomes in law because the courts just can't handle that mass amount of volume. Um, But, you know, I think it's going to take a lot of different areas a lot of this is need to needs to be come back from a lot of different angles um so there are parts of it that i'm really hopeful for um especially surrounding property insurance that i do think are a step in the right direction um but i can definitely see the things that i am cautious about or concerned about when it comes to this i can see a lot of pushback and trying to uh go you know places like the supreme court to to reverse them Mm -hmm. um so probably like anything else that is inherently political it'll uh go back and forth by whoever are the powers are to be decide. But I do generally think that it is a step in the right direction. Yeah. Well, let's hope so for Floridians and any other, you know, folks from States experiencing a, a fraction of this crazy situation. Well, thanks for joining us today, Cassie. That was really informative because God knows I did not know anything about insurance and hopefully you have not motivated me to ever want to buy a house. And so more than ever. Well, if you do, you know who to come to if you have any questions. Absolutely. Or and get an agent. I guess that's that's the uh, that's the lesson here for you folks. That's a good lesson to learn. <laughs> and that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Find Laws Don't Judge Me. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Check the show notes for related content. And if you'd like to contact us, send us an email at findlawpodcasts at thompsonreuters.com.